It's my privilege this morning to introduce to you um, Jack Clay before he comes and preaches the word of God for us this morning. So some of you know Jack, some of you may not know Jack Clay. For those who are not aware, Jack Clay has an extended and a meaningful history with our church family because it was in 2010 that Jack joined our staff team here at Together Church and he served our church in that role as a worship pastor for 10 years. And he now serves as Elder Emeritus in our church and oversees our baptisms with Bennett Egger, among other ways that he serves and blesses many in this congregation. And Jack is a gifted worship and choir director, and he served in many churches and for many ministries throughout the years. In fact, one of those places that Jack has served is Jack served at Christian Heritage Academy as a teacher and administrator, get this, for 43 years. Isn't that incredible? What a tenure. You know, that kind of faithfulness, devotion, loyalty, dedication to one place always has me admiring a person and wanting to know what's going on in their life. What does the Lord want to teach me through them? Here's another big one in that area of faithfulness and devotion. Jack and his wife, Mala, celebrated their 50th wedding anniversary earlier this year. What an incredible milestone. That's amazing. You know, when someone has these kinds of records, I just want to sit at their feet. When they've demonstrated this kind of faithfulness, I go, man, the Lord has taught them some things over the years. No one has that kind of devotion and faithfulness for that many years, and they're faking it. You know what I mean? That You just can't fake things that long. When Jack married Mala, he married the love of his life. And here's a fun fact about Jack and Mala. They share the same birthday, and they got married on that day. So they call it their birth anniversary. It comes around every year. Both of them have the same birthday and the same anniversary, which I thought was brilliant on Jack's part. That makes the gifts a lot easier as long as you don't forget that one date. That was excellent. Jack and Mal have five children and 11 grandchildren. One of those grandchildren is still on the way and expected to arrive soon. One of Jack's greatest passions in this life is the study of the pilgrims and the events uh, surrounding the establishment of our great country. Jack's studies have made him an expert at sharing the stories of these incredible people and telling us about the sovereignty of God in the founding of the United States of America. For 38 years, Jack led teams of educators, students, and parents to the Boston area to help them study and learn America's Christian godly heritage. And he brings with him this morning as he comes uh, that library of study and experience as he shares the word of God with us. And I'm so grateful for the preparation that Jack has put into bringing God's word to us this morning. I know he does not take this call lightly. Uh, I know brother, I've known brother Jack for a long time, and I can tell you with great certainty that his purpose in this world is to live for Christ, to know him, to love him, to praise him, to serve him, to have a personal relationship with Jesus and to make him known through every season and every circumstance of his life. And that brings us to the theme of this morning's message, which is this, rejoice in the Lord always. That's the theme of the message. And on the Sunday after Thanksgiving, may you be encouraged to give thanks to God in every season 
and in every circumstance, no matter what you are facing right now, to rejoice in the Lord always. But Brother Jack would tell you this morning that the most important thing you will hear today is what the Holy Spirit wants to speak to you personally. So I wonder if you would bow with me right now for a word of prayer as we prepare our hearts for the preaching of God's word. And Brother Jack, you can come at this time. Lord, we thank you so much for the gift of your word. Lord, that truly it does not return void as we've already focused our minds on this morning, but it accomplishes all it sets out to do. Lord, thank you for the preparation that Brother Jack has shown this morning in preparing for this time of preaching your word. And now, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be evident in this place as we listen intently to the word that he brings this morning, and may we hear your voice. We thank you for this time, and God's people said, amen. Will you help me welcome Brother Jack this morning? Good morning. I'm glad to see you. I can almost see you. The light's a little bright, but that's okay. I can't see very far anyway, uh, but I can see the people on the first uh, two or three rows. Okay. I, you know, I can't believe people employed me that long. Uh, you know, uh, but I, I am so thankful for the time I was able to be at CHA, and, and I'm more thankful for the time I've got to spend with my wife for fit more than 50 years, and uh, we're adding to that every day, and I'm so thankful for that, and God has been so gracious to me. Uh, I hope you had a great Thanksgiving time. Um, you know, how many of you bought something on Black Friday? Uh-huh. Now, I don't know how many Black Fridays there were. <laughs> Did you notice that? We're having a Black Friday sale today, and it's a Monday. You know, I, I just don't know what happened there. They had Black Friday sales the whole month of November so far. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm glad if you bought something on Black Friday. Bless you for that, and thank you for contributing to our economy growing. Uh, it's a good thing. Uh, just all kinds of football games, you know, and food and family and friends, and it's a, it's a wonderful time. It really is. And the thing about it is, it's not about us. And the thing I would tell you also is, because we're going to be talking about the pilgrims, but it's not about the pilgrims. It's about God. It's about the gospel. It's about what God has done and is doing in the lives of people, and now not just in America, and never just in America, but all throughout the earth. I mean, he, every tongue and every tribe and every nation is going to declare that he is worthy. Amen? I, I love to worship the Lord here, and I love the spirit of rejoicing that takes place as uh, we, we gather together. My pastor, when I was young, Brother Harry Boydston, he would say, the most important thing that will take place in this service today is your personal worship of the Lord. And I think that's true. Because if I don't personally worship the Lord, you may be worshiping the Lord, but I don't get in on the benefit of us worshiping the Lord together if I'm not personally worshiping the Lord. So may I say to you this morning, the most important thing is your personal worship of the Lord today. 
You know, the months of November, December are really unique. Uh, they're very festive uh, in a lot of ways. But did you know uh, that those two months of the year are the months that are noted for having the greatest number of suicides in America? It's kind of sad, isn't that? Loneliness and despair, discouragement, rejection, depression are prominent in the lives of people throughout this time. Our nation is uh, embroiled in all types of, of uh, violence and social disorder today. It's, uh, it's scary if you don't know the Lord and if you don't know what's going to happen. But we who know the Lord, we have a hope. And that hope is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we live expectantly of His blessing and of His working out His will and His way and His timing. Okay, and we must always keep that in mind. Uh, it was Karl Marx, <laughs> the father, father of socialism. You say, why would you quote Karl Marx? Because he said this, okay, and it's true. If we can get a people to forget their heritage or their history, they will be easily deceived. And we have forgotten our history today. And so today we're going to look back a little bit. We're going to recall, we're going to remember what God has done in the formation and in the foundation of our nation. Our Lord Jesus Christ is the author of liberty. And uh, we need to see that our liberty, our freedoms that we enjoy today are a gift and a blessing of God. It's amazing that in this time that we have that, uh, you know, of Thanksgiving, that we always remember a, a small band of people. They were called, we call them pilgrims. In England, they were known as separatists, okay? But we remember them as, as the pilgrims, and they were a very unique people because they endured a lot of trials and a lot of tribulations and even persecution and even death. And yet, what are they known for? All of that? No, we remember them because they gave thanks. In the midst of all that trial and tribulation, they gave, give thanks. So my question is, why? Why did they give thanks? What did they rejoice in? What did they know about life and living and rejoicing that we need to learn today? So let's, let's take a look, okay? Well, first of all, I think there's four things that, uh, that we want to focus on today. First of all, they rejoiced that their lives had been purchased by the precious blood of Christ, and that their names were written in the Lamb's book of life. Let me read to you from uh, William Bradford. He was the second governor of Plymouth Plantation, and in his history of Plymouth Plantation, he put it this way, when as by the travail and diligence of some godly and zealous preachers, and God's blessings on their labors, as in other places in the land, so in the northern parts, many became enlightened by the Word of God and had their ignorances, ignorances and sins discovered unto them. 
and began by His grace to reform their lives and make conscience of their ways. The work of God was no sooner manifest in them, but presently they were both scoffed and scorned by the profane multitude. These people surrendered their lives willingly. Listen, did you hear what he said? By, in, in, in our terms, by the faithful preaching of God's Word and the diligence in doing that, God opened the hearts of men and made them aware of their need for Christ. And they responded to that. But when they responded to that, they faced persecution. Now, who would think that would happen? Oh, it's happening more and more. It happens all over the world when people receive Christ. And it's even beginning to happen more and more in America that they are scoffed and scorned and persecuted. These people surrendered their lives willingly to Christ and were met with immediate persecution by the Church of England, no less. Yet they believe the admonition from Philippians 1.29, which says, For to you it has been given for Christ's sake not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for His sake. Hmm. Not just to believe. Hey, my, I, I rejoice. I rejoice that my life has been purchased by the blood of the Lamb and that my name's written in the book of life. Okay? But hey, they faced persecution. Second thing that they rejoiced in, they rejoiced that in the midst of tremendous persecution and suffering, God had a definite plan for their lives. Think about it. I mean, they were just common people. You know, most of them were just farmers, they lived in small towns much smaller than we live in, farm communities. You know, they probably didn't even have one stop sign and maybe not a post office. I don't know. Surely they didn't have a Walmart. <laughs> but they had to leave their homes. And they had to leave their possessions because they were in persecution. Because they believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, many of them ended up in prison. And so they said, we've got, to, we've got to have a place where we can worship the Lord freely. Let's move to Holland. So after many trials, they moved to Holland. That wasn't easy. Some of them got separated. Some of them, you know, people tricked them and stole their money and, you know, turned them over to the uh, constables and they got thrown in prison for trying to leave the country. They finally made it over after a while. And they spent about 11 or 12 years there. And they realized something. Hey, yeah, we've got the freedom to worship God, but you know what? This isn't really the kind of place we want to raise our kids. It's not a good, it's not a good atmosphere. Our kids are being corrupted by the values of other people that we really don't believe in. And so they thought, oh, we've got to move. We've got to, where could we go? Oh, I've heard of this place. It's called America. And we can go over there and we can live in a colony called the Virginia Colony and, and uh, you know, and we can establish our homes and, and build and prosper and, and raise our families as we think they ought to be raised and so forth. And so they tried to do that. <laughs> and 
they met with opposition time after time. Again, they, they had two boats. One of them they had to leave by because it wasn't seaworthy, so they lost all their investment in that. They made a, the, the trip was supposed to take about a month, 30 days. It took 66 days. Have you ever been on a trip like that? I have recently. <laughs> I was going to be gone five days. And I ended up being gone 17 because the, the ship broke down, you know? So we had, <laughs> we had to get the ship fixed so we could come on home. And they got blown off course and they tried to steer to the south and they couldn't steer to the south because of the storms. And they ended up north and decided that's what God's will was. But along the way, it wasn't an easy trip. If you've ever been on the Mayflower, okay, you, I mean, it's a small place. It's, it's probably not much bigger than this section of the auditorium right here. And they were not on the top deck. They were on what was called the tween decks. And they wouldn't let them come. So you know what? Anybody ever been seasick before? Okay. And they got sick. Oh, and the, the uh, sailors made fun of them because here are these, uh, these psalm singers, okay? These people, they say they're Christians, you know, and they called them and they're, they're just throwing up on. And so you know what they called them? They called them psalm singing puke stockings, okay? Would you like to be known as a psalm singing puke stocking? Well, maybe a psalm singer, but I don't have, I want to have anything to do with puking up in a stocking or anything like that. But they did. I mean, they didn't want to, but they did. It was rough. It wasn't easy. It took longer than they thought it would. They didn't land where they wanted to. And then when they got to where they were going to take land, hey, there were some there who weren't of the same group as they were, and, and there was conflict, and they had to work that out. And they had encounters with the Indians, and they had a hard winter. I mean, they left in September. They were supposed to get there in October. They didn't get there till the end of November, our time. They landed in Plymouth in December, and they began to die. 102 of them were on the trip. 52 of them died that first winter. Can you imagine that? I don't know how many people are in this auditorium right now, but can you imagine over half of this congregation dying in just a matter of months? We, we, I, I don't know about you, and, and, and I've been there, and I've seen, and I'm, but my mind still can't grasp that. Uh, that's just unbelievable. Well, it came around, like I said, 52 of them died that first winter. And then they planted, they planted their corn and it didn't do very well. They only planted about 28 to 30 acres and they didn't raise enough food. They thought it would be enough, but it wasn't really enough. But they brought their harvest in. And they said, let's give thanks to God for what we've got. You know, a lot of times I, I complain about what I don't have. <laughs> I need to thank God for what I do have. And these people thanked God for what they did have. You know, they had made friends with the Indians, the Wampanoag Indians and, and Massasoit and so forth. And they came and they had a three-day celebration that we call Thanksgiving. And 
they, they wouldn't have had much meat if it hadn't been for the Indians. The Indians brought, I think, about three deer, okay, and that helped, okay? And they had had some, the corn that they had wasn't very much, but you know what? They were willing to share it, and they were, were willing to give thanks for it. And since that time in our country, in various colonies and then states, we have had a day of thanksgiving. And George Washington, our first president, declared a national day of thanksgiving uh, for one year uh, after we became a nation. And then it wasn't until our 16th president, during one of the darkest, most trying times of our history, the Civil War, Dark not only because of what was going on in our nation with slavery and the struggle to overthrow that. Dark, but dark because in Lincoln's own life, his young son, Willie, had died. And then there was the Battle of Gettysburg. The Battle of Gettysburg, you'll know, that was where Lincoln gave the Gettysburg Address. What you don't know, or probably what you may not know, I shouldn't say don't, was that it was at that time when he said this uh, later, and a few months later he said this, when I came into office, I asked the people of our nation to pray for me but I was not a Christian. When my son Willie died, that was the saddest, most heart-wrenching time of my life, but I was not a Christian. But when I went to Gettysburg and saw the graves of those who gave their lives on that battlefield, it was there, and I quote, it was there. I consecrated my life to Jesus Christ. Now, I, I would be glad to share that information with you where that was found, but that is found and that is in documents today. And it wasn't long after that that he declared a national day of thanksgiving to be held on the fourth Thursday of every month of November to follow. And then shortly after that, he was assassinated. And the nation mourned. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Number three, what was the third reason the pilgrims did? They rejoiced that God not only had purchased them and not only had a plan for them, but he had a purpose for them. And being in America, which was to spread the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ throughout the earth and become as stepping stones for the furtherance of the gospel of the kingdom of Christ. Amazing. That's why when they were offered the opportunity to leave, 
and to go back to England. They all stayed because they understood that God had a plan for them and they understood that God had a purpose for them and their heart and their desire and they, they said in their coming, Bradford wrote, to advance the gospel of the kingdom of Christ and to serve as stepping stone to others for the furtherance of the kingdom. It's amazing. You can actually read. There are documents which explain the spread of the gospel throughout Massachusetts and Cape Cod as these separatists or these pilgrims were there. And to see what God... Hey, you know what happened? I think it was 1636, 1630, somewhere around there. After they built their houses and their church, what did they build? They built an institution for learning to train pastors. And does anybody know what that school was called? Harvard. Whoa! That's amazing, isn't it? Another one that was established, and many of the Ivy League schools were established for the purpose of training pastors. But another one that I find extremely interesting is Dartmouth University. Because Dartmouth was established to train pastors who, ha who were uh, from the Indian tribes, the, the Wampanoags and the Nossets and the, uh, uh, and the Massachusetts Indians, to train them in sharing the gospel. Just like our Reaching Souls International does. What do they do? They train nationalist pastors, right? And, the, and because of that, God has done a tremendous work through that organization. That's what those, that little band of pilgrims did. They shared the gospel and they trained those Indian people to share the gospel among themselves. And the gospel spread like wildfire. Praying towns of Indians sprung up all over Massachusetts and New Hampshire and Maine as we know it today. God had a purpose for them. Another thing, fourth thing, they rejoiced in the prospect of the return of the Lord to earth. They looked forward to his coming. They sought to please the Lord in every respect by applying God's word to every area of their lives because they believe he was coming again. It makes a difference. If you believe Jesus is coming again and if you're looking forward to that, it makes a difference in the way you live. Well, what is true joy? Well, it is this, and, and, and I made up a definition. I say I made up a definition. I did, I did. I looked at the Scripture, and I made a definition based on what the Scripture says, okay? But true joy, we're going to define it as this, the attitude and expression of my life produced in me by the Holy Spirit as I live in harmony with God and His Word. Think about it. Spend some time with it. Where did you get those where did you get those ideas? Well, Romans chapter 5 verses 1 and 2 says, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access 
by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. See, because we have been born again, we rejoice. Because we have been made at peace with God, we rejoice in His hope. Galatians 5.22 says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. See, the, the Spirit of God, as I surrender my life daily to the Spirit of God, He produces His joy in me. And in Jeremiah 15.16, I love this verse. It says, thy words were found and I did eat them, and they became unto me the joy of and rejoicing of mine heart. God's word became the joy of my heart, for I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. So that's where that definition, I made it up from those three verses, okay? It is a product of being in harmony with the Lord, having peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It is produced in my life by the Spirit of God and as I walk in harmony with God and with His Word. Okay? It's all, all three things there. And I'm sure there's more. I mean, uh, that's just something for us to think about. What does the Scripture say about uh, rejoicing? Well, it says this, rejoice in the Lord. <laughs> this is the hard word right here. Always. And again, I say rejoice. You know, I think Paul put on that last little part there, and again, I say rejoices, because we need to be, or I need to be reminded of that. We need to be reminded of that. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I, that's where the Spirit of God better produce that in me, right? Because sometimes I look at life, and I don't want to rejoice. Okay, but God says rejoice. Okay, Lord, thank you. Thank you. Hmm. Why does he want me to do that? Because Nehemiah 8 verse 10 says this, the joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Think about it. If Satan can, take, can, can weaken us, if he can take away our joy, he can weaken us. And we can be rendered ineffective. But what about the person who is rejoicing in the Lord and learning to rejoice in the Lord always? That person becomes strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Another verse, I love this. You will make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Now, you know, you know one of the amazing promises that God gives to his people. I am always with you. Now, think with me on that. If he is always with me, I'm always in his presence. If I'm always in his presence, what's always, what else is always in his presence? Fullness of joy. That's why I think... I think that's one reason why Isaiah said to him, uh, to us, uh, put on the garment of praise for the spirit of, hey, when we start rejoicing in the Lord, we start recognizing his presence among us, it changes everything. 
It strengthens us. It encourages us. It empowers us to do what we need to do for the Lord. So here are some things. What about our response? Well, can you rejoice, dear friends, in the fact that your life has been purchased by the blood of the Lamb? Can you rejoice that your name has been written in the Lamb's book of life? Did you know what? If that's not true, it can be true today. Come to Christ. Turn from your sin, turn from your ways, and turn to Him and find joy unspeakable and full of glory. Do you know what? You know what the Bible says about one sinner <laughs> that repents? That one, about one sinner that comes to Christ, the Bible says the angels in heaven are rejoicing. I wonder, okay, so here's Brother Brandon, and he's, he comes to the Lord, and, and the angels go, oh, we're so glad. Let's rejoice that God saved Brandon Werner. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Okay, that's enough on him. Uh, let's see. Let's go over here to Brother Jerry. No. Okay. And so, you know, and, and what do we do? Have you ever thought about that? When do they stop rejoicing over the fact that you surrendered your life to him? They're rejoicing until someday. Come on up. It's time to come home and rejoice with us. Oh, my. What a day. What a day when we will join the choirs of heaven in rejoicing over one sinner that repents and we'll, re we'll rejoice for eternity. Can you rejoice that you know the Lord? Man. Would you rejoice that God has a plan for your life? Because He does. You may not understand it. There's very few times when I understand God's plan for my life. You know, I, there's things happen. I just think, well, really, Lord? Okay, Lord, thank you. You know, a guy in the Bible that I think about a lot is Joseph. And Joseph was a, uh, you know, he was the son of his uh, father Jacob uh, or no, Israel, and Israel had 12 sons, and, and, and Joseph was the favored son. I mean, uh, he was, you know, you talk about sibling, sibling rivalry, they were, they were ready to kill him. His brothers weren't, and they had the opportunity, and finally one of the brothers says, no, let's not kill him. Let's sell him as a slave, and, you know, sell him as a slave. And they sold him as a slave to the Midianites, and, and they took him into Egypt, and they sold him as a slave to the house of Potiphar, and and he was in the house of Potiphar, and God blessed him there. But, you know, not because Potiphar was a believer or, or anything like that. But uh, God was with Joseph, the Bible says. And, and, but, but he was falsely accused by Potiphar's wife. And because he was falsely accused by Potiphar's wife, he ended up in prison. 
And he ended up in prison. He was left in prison for something he didn't do. And then when he was there, uh, a couple of guys had some dreams and God gave him the interpretation for those dreams. And you remember that? And, and, and uh, so he said, listen, when you guys get out, well, one of you for sure uh, don't remember me. And he was forgotten. Till one day Pharaoh had a dream. And I'm talking about years and years of time of injustices done against Joseph. And finally, God said, okay, it's time to get Joseph out of prison. And you know the story of how he uh, interpreted the dream of Pharaoh and was made second in command and, and God used him to preserve the land of Egypt, to hold, store up uh, the plenty that they had because a famine was coming and so forth and then how his brothers came to get food and didn't know who he was and all those kind of things happened and finally uh, he what? He uh, revealed himself to his brothers and his father came and lived with them for a while and, and uh, just a lot of things. After Israel died Jacob's brothers came to him and said, oh, listen, before our father died, he said, now you make sure that uh, you tell uh, Joseph that he's to forgive you guys and, and that, and that uh, he's to take good care of you. <laughs> and he says, don't you understand? What you meant for evil, God meant for good. And I have, they're up there, two lessons from the life of Joseph. N number one, life is not fair, right? I mean, we can all point to times in our life when life has not been fair. I mean, it really hasn't been fair. Just like Joseph. It wasn't fair that his brothers hated him. It wasn't fair that they sold him as a slave. It wasn't fair that he was falsely accused. It wasn't fair that he was forgotten, but God had a plan. And that's the second lesson. You know, if I focus on the first part of that, the first lesson, you know what I will become? Bitter. Boy, I fought that in my life. When life hasn't been fair, I fought that. Number two, though, if I focus on the fact that God has a plan, if I could use the word better, I become better because I see God working. God has a plan. Through many dangers, right, we sing, toils and snares I have already come. Tis grace hath brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. Thirdly, rejoice that God has a purpose for your life, which includes Sharing Christ with others and then training others to do so also. God wants to use us to point other people to Christ, but He also wants to use us to train others, to make disciples. That's what we do here. Notice, you know, Bradford called it being a stepping stone. You know what you do with the stepping stone? You make a path with it that others can, can walk on. 
And that's not always, I, I, I wonder if sometimes those stepping stones don't say, ouch. <laughs> but God, God just wants us to be stepping stones. Isaac Newton was a scientist. You know, he, he, uh, he didn't invent gra gravity, but he discovered the laws of gravity physics and all sorts of stuff that I don't know anything about. But uh, anyway, he was just a real smart guy. And he said one time, if I can see further, it's because I've been standing on the shoulders of giants. And I think that is what the Lord would require of us. He wants us to learn from others so that we can see further. But he also wants us to be those stepping stones or those that others can stand on our shoulders to see. I, uh, that's what I want for my kids. That's what I want for my grandkids. I want them to be able to stand on my shoulders. That's what I want for, for the group I'm in. I want... I want to live such a life. I want to be such an encouragement that they can stand on my shoulders and they can see what God has for them and how God wants to use them. Finally, let's rejoice in the prospect that Jesus is coming again. Yes. That makes so much of a difference in, in life. Uh, I mean, it's going to happen. But look at uh, 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 1 John with me. It says this, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet appeared what we, we shall be. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him just as He is. Everyone who has this hope fixed on Him purifies himself, even as He is pure. Does that make a difference? That we, re we rejoice, that we look for the coming of our Lord? Yes. Why do, we, why do we piddle around with sin in our lives? We know it's there, but we don't, you know, we don't, it's just there. It's okay. No. Uh, I, I told my sons this uh, God has taken away any excuse for our sinning because He's provided the Holy Spirit to live within us. And as we surrender to Him, He lives through us. Now, we are human and we do sin, but it's not because God has said, oh, well, it's okay, you don't have to, don't worry about that sin. No, no. God doesn't tolerate sin. But he has provided the way through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the Holy Spirit of God who lives within us where we might be victorious over sin. We don't have to be. Sin shall not be your master. Romans chapter 6, verse 14. Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. What would the Lord have you to do? Maybe it's to come to Him for the very first time and experience the joy of His salvation.
And maybe it's to come and follow the Lord in baptism. It's, the water's a little hot today, they tell me, so we couldn't actually do that today, but we could do it. Can we do that today? Did it Next week we could, yes, uh, because we've had whatever's happened, okay? So, boy, when someone gets baptized around here, we throw a party. I mean, we, we rejoice in that uh, because that's a public declaration of what the Lord has done in our lives. Maybe you need to begin to rejoice it doesn't mean you have to understand it, but rejoice in the plan that God has for you. Maybe you need to rejoice in His purpose in your life, and you need to come and you know, Lord, I surrender to you. I surrender your plan. I surrender your purpose in my life. Use me. We sang I Surrender All a while ago. I love that song. Maybe we just need the Lord, I need to start looking forward to your coming again. And I will. I, I want to thank you so much for the privilege and the opportunity to share the truth from God's Word today. We have so many things to be thankful for. And we only have 365 days a year to do it. Amen? Amen. Amen. Father, I, I love these dear people. Lord, I see them. And I thank Father that, you know, uh, many of them have had sorrowful times in their lives, maybe experiencing those times now. Father, that's, that's not, joy is not uh, absent in those times, but is the realization that you are in us. And Father, that you are strength and you are our comfort and you are our hope. And you are our joy. And so, Lord, we, we submit to you at this time. And we just ask that you might uh, work in us that which would bring honor to you. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.